And that's what Paul says. Certainly not, exclamation point. God forbid, don't even think that way. That's not even the right attitude to have. And, you know, many commentaries have been written about Romans, and they're very in-depth. And I've read through many of them, and they're very solid and deep, and they make my brain fry when I read them sometimes because my heart can't keep up with the knowledge. And for me, that's very important when I study. If my heart doesn't get it, I don't, I can't give it out to you. I don't know how to tell somebody else about it. I can regurgitate the data to you, but that's not the same. I got to get it in my heart. And so as I go through these guys and I can kind of understand where they're coming from, I always boil things down to the least common denominator. That's what I have to do for my own walk is to say, okay, now, wait a minute. And, and so I do that. And I'm like, this is really, really simple. It's not that complicated. I mean, we didn't need 400 pages on the book of or Romans chapter 6. It's pretty simple. I mean, I figured if Paul, who is a pretty heady guy, uh, could write it down in a couple paragraphs, I don't know why we need to make it any longer than he wrote it. Um, it's a very simple thing. Christ has set us free from our sins. We're free from them. It doesn't mean we won't go back to them. It doesn't mean we might commit them again. It doesn't mean that we might return like a dog returns to its vomit at times. But we'll never enjoy it again. It'll never be the same as it was, and we're not in bondage to do it. We don't have to do it anymore. When, when we were in the flesh and we were not born again people, and you're just walking after the flesh, and you were sinning abundantly, I don't know if you can remember those days or not. I certainly can. I didn't have a problem the next morning with guilt. All I could think about was the next weekend or the next time I got to do that sin or whatever. It was no problem for me. As long as I didn't get caught, it was great. It was only when I got caught that I was kind of bummed out about it. You know, I think I've been in jail three times um, for different and various things. Um, you know, um, but those were bad mornings to wake up on the cot. Uh, But I wasn't upset about my sin. I was like, how could I have done this better? That's how I thought. What was my mistake? What was my error? You know, I should have gone around the back of the house, not the front of the, I mean, just all sorts of things. But never did I ever consider, maybe I just shouldn't have been there. Maybe I just shouldn't have drank that. Maybe I just shouldn't have smoked that. Maybe I shouldn't have just, whatever. You don't need to know my sin. It's been forgiven. Now that you're a Christian, now that you're a born-again believer, you're a new creation in Christ, Paul tells the Corinthian church. You're like a fish out of water when you sin. You may do it. You may ju- Ever seen a fish jump out of water? Andrew, what a great time for you to be here for this. Ever seen them jump out of water or into the boat? What do they do? They flop to death until they get back into the water, and that is the Christian's life in sin. It's a very simple process, a very simple thought, concept. That's all Paul's saying is you may jump in the boat, you may jump on land by mistake, but you're going to do everything you can to get back in the water where you belong, what you were made for. You were made for righteousness. You're not made for sin anymore. When you're in the flesh, that's what you did. But now that you're made for righteousness, you're never comfortable there again, and you'll do whatever it takes to get back into that water where you belong, where you can breathe, where you're comfortable, where, where it's smooth. Certainly not, he says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So, 
The water baptism represents a symbolic death of the Christian, not an actual death of the Christian, a symbolic one, and Paul's using that as a reference. When you get water baptized, you're symbolically saying, I am dying to myself and rising to new life in Christ. It's now no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. I'm leaving the old man dead, and now I'm a new creation in Christ. That's the idea behind it. It's very symbolic. But symbolism isn't reality. That's very important. It doesn't matter how many times I do that event, if I haven't surrendered my life to God, if I haven't become a new creation, if I haven't been born again, I'm just getting wet. I'm just having a bath. It doesn't matter any time. Some people get confused about water baptism. They think it does something to you. It doesn't do anything to you. This is a symbolic gesture of what God has done to your heart. Very important. You still need to do it. It's important to do, but that doesn't change you. And so Paul says, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. That's being born again, being symbolically water baptized and brought. You were baptized into his death. That's you dying like he died on the cross. You died with him. You're saying that out loud. I don't mean to, I just got to get it. We got to get it in our heads. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, remember when you came back out of the water? Thank goodness, right? (laughs) You know, they used to do that during the Inquisitions at times. They'd get whole towns saved under the threat of death, you know, with swords and all. You must get saved. You know, you need to come to Christ. So, well, okay, I don't want to die. And when they baptize them, they wouldn't let them back up sometimes thinking they were sending them to glory. Oy vey. No, you came back up out of the water. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, just as symbolic as the death was, so is the resurrection. We haven't really resurrected into our new life yet, but we're planning on it. Just as much as we planned on and trust in our death, At the cross, we plan on and trust in our resurrection like Christ was. We were buried with him, so if he died on the cross, then that means our sins are dead. If he rose from the dead, that means I will rise from the dead. I will be resurrected. I will come into, and I am a new creation in Christ. It's a fact. So that's what Paul's getting at. So now that you are this new creation, so that the old man is dead and you've risen to new life in Christ... That means you don't walk the way you used to walk. You don't do what you used to do. You're like a fish out of water if you do. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, if Christ lives it to God, likewise then, that means every one of us who are born-again believers, likewise, we do what he does, likewise. You also reckon yourself to be dead, yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 
the very basic question. He says a lot there. But does that mean, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Is that's the question you're asking me? The answer is no. Because you're a new creation in Christ, you should now, you should now live for God. That's really this, that's all there is to this question. It isn't a matter of if I lost my salvation, if I do sin, does that mean I really wasn't saved? What, what, you know, because that's, I mean, that is everybody's question. If I'm not supposed to be a sinner after I'm born again, if I'm not supposed to ever sin again, I have. I have sinned again. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't have salvation? Is Paul saying here that once you're a born-again believer, you should never sin again? You mean you're still a sinner? You still do these things? That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying that if the question is this, shall we continue in sin? Shall we go on with our life like nothing ever happened, like I was never born again, like I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior, so that grace could abound? Should I do that? Certainly not. Absolutely not. If you're a heroin addict, if you're a methamphetamine addict, that's our, that's our drug of our area right now, methamphetamines. I'm sure there's others, but let's pick on that one. Have you ever seen someone who's been on meth for a very long time? Have you ever seen them go through the process from where they used to be, healthy, plump skin, you know, pink still, to where they are emaciated, their teeth are gone, disheveled, and look like they're walking dead, literally look like it. And they're all, and you can see them when they're tweaking. I don't know if you've ever seen someone tweaking at the gas station before here in town when they're walking there and they can't stand still and they're just moving all over the place because they're just, have you ever seen that? Okay. They're in bondage. They're absolutely enslaved to methamphetamines. They are absolutely enslaved. Although it is doing this to them, and it's obvious to everybody and even to themselves at times, what they look like now compared to what they looked like then. They can see what sin is doing to them because sin does that in any way, shape, or form to us. It changes us from what God intended us to be to look like this. The meth guy, the meth gal, is a perfect example of what sin does to a person, although it's euphoric, an absolutely unbelievable feeling, an absolute, it's like, I, 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 I can't, I don't want to ever get away from that. This feels too good to walk away from that beautiful feeling when I'm under the influence of this meth. It doesn't matter what it's doing to my body. They're absolutely addicted and a, and a slave to their sin. Christ comes into their life and absolutely releases them from that. And so the question is very simple. As a meth head who has been delivered from this addiction, from this bondage, from these chains, do you think I should go on and just keep doing meth? Of course not. You've spent this whole time trying to get off of it, trying to get away from it. You've come to Christ. He's absolutely severed the chains. You're absolutely free. There's no more addiction. There's no more whatever. The, if your question is, should, now should I stay doing meth? Should I go back to the meth house so that grace could abound in my life? Of course not. I've never intended you for you to live like that. I've set you free to be free from it. No, don't go back to that. Go as far away from it does it mean that the meth head, former, set free, new creation, may fall back into that? Of course it could happen. 
The question isn't, can it happen? Can they fall back into it? Of course they can. And of course it's going to be detrimental to their walk with the Lord and their walk with everybody else. And it's a terrible thing, but it doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. It doesn't mean that they weren't born again. It doesn't mean that they aren't new creations. They're just back where they shouldn't be. And they're like a fish out of water, and it's miserable, and all they can do is flop to get out of that place again and back to where they belong. That's the idea. It's very simple. We've been set free from our sins, whatever your sins are, whatever my sins are. You may fall back into them, but it must be... It needs to be a tumbling experience. It needs to be a time where I can't wait to get away from this. I can't believe I'm here again. I've, I prayed to get out of this, and I'm back in it again. I want to get out of this as fast as I can. I'm miserable here. When you stop feeling that way in your sin, then you can start worrying. When you start feeling comfortable back in that place again, then you need to be concerned. Where is your heart? Where am I? Where is my walk with the Lord? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. You've been set free. You've been absolutely set free. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't let it. See, Paul is teaching that this happens. I think sometimes we miss that when we come up with our doctrine and our thoughts. See, as a pastor... um. It's not a fear of mine. I, I don't want to blame other pastors, but it, it is a tendency for people who are saved even or pastors to help people maintain their walk with Christ by still leaving that threat of judgment over their heads. It keeps people where they need to be. If I can keep you thinking that if you fall into sin, you may lose your salvation. That keeps people from going to do those things anymore. It keeps people, through fear of judgment, it keeps them where they're supposed to be on the straight and narrow. And there's a short-term gain to that, but a long-term loss for that kind of teaching. The short-term gain is you got a bunch of suit and tie wear and straight people that are just going to be right where they're supposed to be every Sunday morning, right in the chair they're supposed to be, David. We got them. We've hooked them. But the long-term loss is a miserable existence as a Christian. A miserable, terrifying, fearful, stomach-churning existence. I don't know if I'm saved today. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I've done the law. See, that's how the Jews lived. They lived under the law. And that's how they knew they had a relationship with God, was when they were under the law. And Christ did something. He didn't make it a legal contract with them. He made it a loving relationship with him. I don't want you to be under my authority, under my jurisdiction. I want you to be my bride. I want you to be my bride. And there's freedom in my marriage. And there's freedom to follow me. There's freedom to make each other joyful. There's freedom there. I will always fulfill my side of the bargain as the husband of the bride. I will always look out for your best interests. I will always provide for you. I will always bless you abundantly regardless of how you treat me. You will always be my bride. I mean, and that is Hosea. That is what he's talking about there. He will continually buy us off the auction block of sin as our husband. 
Now, knowing that about him is where holiness comes from. Knowing the goodness of God, the graciousness of God is what brings me into the obedience of my husband. And that's where the walk is. And that's the beauty of Christ. And that's the beauty of Christianity. That freedom, you mean you're not going to stop me from eating the apple in the garden? No, I just asked you not to. I commanded you not to. It's terrible for you if you do it. But you're not going to put up a fence. You're not going to smash me with your fist as soon as you see me walking towards it. No. He never interferes. Absolute freedom to go all the way to the tree, pick it off the tree, eat it, even hand it to her husband. Husband, knowing for a well he shouldn't do it, grabs it and eats it also. Never once does he interfere with that. That's the freedom. The freedom. And yet comes up with a solution at the end of the day. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Well, we heard you and we were afraid because we were naked. Who told you that you were naked? Well, I ate that. You didn't eat of that fruit, did you? Yeah, we ate that fruit that you told us not to eat of. Well, those fig leaves aren't going to do it. What kind of love is that? What do you mean these fig leaves aren't going to do it? We thought you were going to kill us. You said death. No, no. I meant our relationship was in trouble. I meant that we weren't able to fellowship anymore like we used to. We don't have that like we used to, but I'll make a way. Where are these animal skins? We have to have a sacrifice. And I'm going to provide a permanent way eventually when my son comes and does what these sacrifices represent. He dies on the cross for your sins. And that will restore what you did. That's our walk. And it's that loving kindness of Christ that leads people to repentance. That's what draws people. That's the only thing that should draw people to Christ. Is that understanding. We've got to get that in our heads and our hearts. We have to have this in our own walk with Jesus or we will never understand how to teach the Bible or share scripture with other people ever. Have to have this. It's so important. Holiness, a beautiful, healthy, strong body of Christ understands this, chapter 6. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, 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 no. You've been set free from that. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey in, in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under law, but you are under grace. In other words, you have absolute freedom. I've set you free. You're not in bondage. You don't have to be addicted to your sin anymore. See, I was an alcoholic, but I don't, I better be careful. I was an alcoholic and I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I've been absolutely cleansed, absolutely set free. I have no more addiction to that sauce anymore, ever. I have nothing draws me to that. I have no desire. Don't go to Hy-Vee and have to hurry past that little tiny cooler section by the bathroom so I can get to the juice and the milk. Oh, you know. No fear of it all. I could sit there and stare at it all day down. I could juggle beer cans in the aisle if I wanted to. No fear. Because I've been absolutely set free by Jesus Christ. None of it. I present my body to be used by God. I have a choice every day. How will I present my body? How will I present what he's given me? These beautiful hands that aren't crippled. Not everybody has these hands. Well, how am I going to present these feet that aren't crippled, these legs that function very well? How will I present my body? I have a strong, healthy heart. Well, I think anyway. 
I just don't go to the doctor to find out otherwise. I have great teeth. I have great teeth, yeah. She reluctantly says, eh, kind of, kind of, as long as you floss. How do I present my tongue? How do I present my eyes? How do I present my ears? What do I present my body, this God-given gift that he's given me? How do I present it to use it each day? I could do it lots of ways. I could, I could beat people up because I'm violent inside of my heart and I think they deserve it. I could use my fists. I could change these hands into helping, healing, touching hands into fists. and I could just wail on people. I could do that. It's my choice every morning. I could run or f- all night long and try to figure out how to break into people's houses and steal their stuff so I have more stuff. I could do that, but I don't. I present my body. Right now, I could be doing a lot of things with my mouth. I've decided to present my body, my tongue, my lips, my, my energy today to serve God. I present myself. It's a choice everybody has to make. How do you present yourself? I can be a blessing to my wife or I could be her worst nightmare today. I can criticize her. I can bring her down. I can verbally just make her feel small and insignificant to make myself feel better. Or I can build her up. I can love her. I can understand where she is and help her. And she can do the same for me. She could berate me and tell me, are you kidding me? This is your decision? Oh, that was a great one. She could beat me up verbally and make me feel small, emasculate me in front of the kids. She could do whatever. Or she could present herself as an instrument of righteousness to God to build me up and to encourage me. You know, It's up to us. It's up to us. That's what he's saying. How do you present yourself? Present yourself. Present these members. Use them. Use them. You're still alive. You're still kicking down here. Use them as instruments of righteousness, not as instruments of unrighteousness. I'm either going to bring joy to people or I'm going to bring pain and suffering to people. It's up to me. All I know is this. Paul tells us this in verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Can't blame sin anymore. Can't blame addiction anymore. I can't blame, "Ah, just the devil made me do it anymore. That's been off the table now. Now everything I do, that was your call. That's all you. You've been absolutely set free. You want to sit in the cell in jail? It's up to you, but the doors are wide open. There's no, there's no reason you're eating bread and water. There's no reason you're lying on that cot. There's no reason you're behind those bars. The doors have been wide open for a long time. It's up to you. Sunshine's out here. You can mope all you want down there, but you've been set free. It's your choice. Interesting, isn't it? Thinking about the, the possibility of holiness in my life, the possibility of purity in my life based off absolute freedom and grace. It can go so much further than it could under the law. My holiness to be like Christ, to be truly like God down here on earth, to really represent him properly, can go so much further under grace than it can under law. So much further. I can touch hearts. I can change lives. I can have sincerity. Under the law, you can't have any of that stuff. It's impossible. It's all for your relationship. It's all for selfish motivation. Verse 15. What then? (laughs) Second question. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? I knew you were going to ask that, because I just said it, Paul says. You're not under law, you're under grace. Well, great then. Shall we sin? No, no, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether 
of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through you, uh, sorry, sorry, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That's the, he's just talking about the moment. You were slaves to sin, but you heard a call. You heard freedom. You heard your Savior calling you out of the grave, and you, you answered it. You believe that doctrine. You believe that teaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's all he's saying here. You heard it. You heard that doctrine, and you obeyed it. It was your first act of obedience to a king. remember when Peter was in jail and they were praying all night for him to get out of jail and the angel came in and opened up the doors. Peter had to get kicked in the side by the angel to get him to get up and move. You know, Sometimes that's my prayer for some. You know, well, Don't you know that he's kicked open these doors? He's kicked open the doors. They're wide open. Why are you still here? I don't know. I just feel, boom, I just want to kick them. You know? Wake up and run, buddy. You've been waiting for this. We've been praying for this. It's the only violent thing I'll ever do is kick someone out of jail. All right? That's a good thing, right? That's what that picture is. That's all that is. He reaches down into wherever we're burning and dying and floundering, and he reaches down, he pulls us up. That's why I love that picture. I always wanted to get the, oh, never mind. I want to get tattoos that had flames, you know, reaching into hell. You know, reaching in and pulling him out. John's like, oh, I should have thought of that. Well, you still got, you got your right arm still. It's still available, man. <laughs> I'll live vicariously through you. How's that? <laughs> she say, wife's going, no, oh, no, be quiet, J.D. I love it. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that you're obedient to the one you obey? Don't you know that that's your master? But God be thanked. You've been delivered from that. You've been delivered from meth. You've been delivered from alcohol. You've been living from, delivered from your addiction, from your sin. Don't present yourself to be obedient to that taskmaster again. Why would you do that? You know? You quit your job, the worst job in the world. Think of the worst boss ever. Think of David. You were working for David. Hot, concrete slab work. You're the one with the broken arm sitting in the front row. You were working for him, and you've been praying, oh, God, get me out from underneath David. David's just, oh, he's a taskmaster. He's a horrible man. And you get this beautiful job in the library for 30 bucks an hour with air conditioning. <laughs> exactly. David's like, hey, I'm the, well, you'd be that arm, and I'd be that. And then on your lunch break, you go up to David and say, David, is there anything you need me to do for you? Why would you even go back? You know, you've been set free, you've been delivered. Why would you show up back in that hot, terrible existence, you know? Enjoy where God has taken you. Stay there. So Paul's saying, so sh- sh- since we're not under the law, should we keep sinning? No. Sin is killing you. Sin has nothing for you. Sin may feel euphoric for the moment, but you know what it feels like. You felt the consequences of your decisions in the past. You prayed to be set free from them. That's why you came to Christ. That's why you wanted to be a new believer. That's why you got baptized, because you wanted to put all that stuff to death. And now you're asking me if you should present yourself to that taskmaster again. Of course not. Very simple process here. 
And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You got a new owner. You got a new boss. I ask in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Good picture. I stole this from one of the, I stole this from uh, David Guzik. That guy, it's hard not to steal from him sometimes. He says, imagine this. Imagine you've got a sin. You've got four sins in your life. I'm making more of this than he did. You've got a a tree that's been a year old. You've got a tree five years old, a tree 10 years old, and a tree 15 years old. These are all your sins. Which is easiest to pull up? Well, the one year. You can pull it right out. It's probably still root-bound. It probably still hasn't spread out. You can pull that up pretty easy. The five-year... May have to lean into that one a little bit. The 10-year, the 15-year, you're going to need Jeff Kennedy and his backhoe to get that out of your life, basically. The longer you're in it, every time you dabble in it, the more you feed it, the deeper those roots go. The more fruit you have from that sin, the deeper those roots go, the more embedded it is. You wonder why it was easy to get rid of this, that, or the other thing when you first got saved. Those were one-year-old trees. You wonder why a year later you, you got rid of some of those other ones. They were a little harder to root out, but you got them out. You wonder why those 15-year-olds are still sitting there sometimes. They're tough. There's a rip ball. It's difficult to get those out. You're going to need some heavy equipment. It's going to take some serious effort on Christ's part to get those rooted out and completely rooted out and remove, remove all those volunteers that come up afterwards. Okay. Now, likewise, he says, now change thought process, change your mind, just like you planted those sin seeds. And you know how hard it is to get rid of this one sin in your life. Plant some righteousness. Feed it. Dwell around it. Cultivate it. And it'll be just as hard to root out of your life as that sin was. It's a very simple process. Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to reap. Whatever you sow, that's what comes up in your life. And it's not all wheat. It's not all corn. I think that's our mindset. I like the tree mentality. That helps me understand that if I want an oak tree of righteousness in my life, that's going to take some work. It's going to take some constant attention to that, constant focus on that. I'm going to keep doing that so the roots get deeper and deeper and deeper in my life so it's not so easily blown out at every storm that comes into my life, not so easily uprooted every time something bad happens. Paul's so practical. I just love it. You presented yourself for lawless deeds, and you know how God set you free from that, that Christ cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Now, now present yourself, just like you did to those sins, present yourself for righteousness, for holiness. You know? Pretty simple. Just a matter of doing it, right? I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on this. That's what repentance is. I'm not going to focus on how to cultivate sin in my life. I'm going to focus on how to cultivate righteousness. And when I'm focused on righteousness, my back's to sin. You can't do both. It doesn't work that way. I'm just going to do this. Develop a habit. I'd say discipline, but discipline... Is almost like I, I don't want to do it, but I'm making myself. That's what I don't like about discipline so much. I'm disciplined to read my Bible. 
I haven't, I haven't got that one worked out yet in my own life, that discipline to read my Bible. No, when I open this up, this is really, really important to me. This book is really, really important to me. It really is. Um, I don't see it like a book, a novel. I don't see it like a dictionary, a thesaurus. I don't see it something I go to when I need an answer. I don't. It's way more important to me than that, personally. I don't have the discipline to read this. I have to. I need it to breathe. I need it to live. I, I get into this, and I finger it like, I don't know. It's very intimate to me. I guess I'll leave it at that. And when I read this stuff, I just, oh, my heart just, boy, I can, and I can tell that I'm really being worked on, and I can tell that I'm really getting, I'm getting some oil. Uh, what I mean by that is it, it's, it's, a, it's a term that Christians use. It, it's like a, a healing thing that's going on. I can feel it working. It's like, oh, I just need to feel I, I I'm anxious. I'm worried. I don't know about my job. I don't know about finances. I don't know what my daughter's thinking or what my son's thinking. I don't know where they're at. I don't know what they're doing. And then I open this up, and it's like, whoosh. It just flushes all that garbage. And I got answers, and I got peace, and I understand seasons. And God just totally touches my life and touches my heart. So I don't know about discipline. I'm not disciplined to read it. It's just, it's an oak in my life now. When the wind blows, I grip this tighter, you know. It's not hard for me, but it was. It was. It was easy for me to go do something other than that. It was easy for me to find a better escape, an easier route, something that would get my mind off of things. It was what I used to do. I used to go open something or do something or read something or drink something to get my mind off of it. I don't want to get my mind off of it. I want answers. So I take my mind to the mind of God and it just washes. It gives me everything I ever wanted. Because inevitably, when I get my mind off of it, when that's over, my mind gets back on it, and it's just as confused as it ever was. I want to get rid of that anxiety. I want to get rid of that depression. I want to get rid of those things. And the only way I can get rid of those is not to get my mind off of it, it's to get my mind right. I have the mind of Christ. And this is the only place I can go. Okay. So present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. It's, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you know. Enslave yourself to God. He doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean I want you yanking on that chain and wrapping yourself up and getting caught and wish you could pull away from Christ, but you can't. You're chained to him. That's not what he means. But he's saying just as you were presenting yourselves as slaves because you had the freedom to do that, you have the freedom to present yourselves as a slave to righteousness and have the, have the beautiful fruit of holiness when you do. So do that. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things in which you are now ashamed? You remember the fruit? I do. I remember the fees, the fines, the jail time. I remember all of it. I remember the heartache, the pain, the suffering I put my parents through and everybody else in my life. I remember all of that. That's the fruit. For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. I guess all he's trying to bring to mind to the Romans here is, do you remember the fruit that you had? There was definite fruit from my sin. Okay, 
Well, just as confident as you are and understanding as you are of your sin, understand this, you will have fruit from your righteousness too. It's just as sure. It's just as absolute. You're definitely going to have fruit from that. Oh. I mean, think about that. You sow righteousness in hope that you're going to have fruit. I want a great marriage. I want, that, I, want, I want that marriage right over there. That's the marriage I want. I'm not pointing anybody specifically. That's the marriage I want right there. Then plant for it. Sow for it. Plan on it. Expect it then. I'm going to do exactly what God says to do as a man, as a husband. I'm going to do exactly what he told me to do. I don't know what she's going to do, but I'm going to do exactly what I'm supposed to do as a husband. Planting. And God promises me that I will have my fruit. Sweet. Or the wife. I am going to plant just like the great wives of old planted. I'm going to do it. By faith, I'm going to plant these seeds. I'm going to plan on that marriage over there. I'm going to plan on that relationship. I will have my fruit. I will. Or anything else. It doesn't have to be marriage. That's an easy one to pick on. I'm going to wake up and not dread it. I'm going to wake up on on Monday morning and not say that, that it's Monday morning. (laughs) It's Monday. Anybody ever do that? No, you don't, do you? Because you're born-again Christians and you're not supposed to do that. Change it. Change it. It's your choice. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm not a slave to Monday mornings anymore. Change it. So, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have? Then are the things, I did all that. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. We knew that for sure. That's why we came to Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We use that verse to get people to come to Christ, but it's also, understand, it was written to Christians. It's written to Christians. It's verse 23. It's not meant to be the wages of sin is death. It's meant just as sure as the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. There's hope. I love Paul. Boy, he got this, didn't he? He didn't just get this. He got this. I want to get this so I can share it. That's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. First of all, we thank you for showing us who we were, sinners separated from you, living a life leading to death, full of sin, full of hurt, heartache, and brokenness. That's who we are in chapters 1 and 2. Thank you for seeing that and having a solution for us. You took all of our sin and nailed it to the cross. And your son, who is perfect in every way, shape, or form, died on the cross in place of us for our sins. And now you say that if we believe that, we will be born again, we'll become new creations in Christ, and we can walk in that newness of life, being completely set free from the addictions of our sin and free to present our bodies as slaves to righteousness. We've been set free from sin, and now we're walking in this newness of righteousness, this beautiful relationship we have with you, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for letting our holiness, our, the possibility of holiness, go much further than the law could ever take us. 
goes from the head to the heart, goes from behavior to our actual feeling in our heart with sincerity towards you, God. You are good, and it's your goodness that leads us to repentance, and we turn from our sin. We turn from those things that have nothing to offer us but pain and heartache and suffering. We turn now and we face you, God. We understand those are sins. Those are things that lead us away from you and away from helping people and being a blessing to other people. What we turn towards you. So it's even starting tonight, God, help us to present our instruments, present these bodies as instruments of righteousness in our wives' lives, in our husbands' lives, in our kids' lives, in our co-workers' lives, in our friends' lives. Help us to present ourselves to be used by you as instruments of righteousness in our lives and theirs, God. Help us to plan and plant for holiness. As we walk in righteousness, we can plan for holiness and then we will reap that fruit. We thank you for this beautiful freedom you've given us. And we love you. Help us to share this with everybody, God they might know who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.